This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. Coming up this weekend, we have all the title races from around Europe and around the world. Many of them are on Sling TV, including the Premier League and Ligue 1. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. On this episode, we discuss the just announced Champions Soccer Tour and what that means for soccer fans in the United States, as well as JJ Watt's campaign to grow Burnley FC in America and uh, US Soccer fills an executive slot to bring us one big step closer to a new head coach decision. My name is Christopher Harris and uh, joining today, it's my pleasure uh, to bring on board uh, Bob Williams, who is one of the top soccer writers in the United States. Uh, has You might know him by his byline, he's worked for the Daily Telegraph, Sport Business, uh, The Sun and other publications. Bob, uh, welcome to the pod. Hi Chris, thanks very much for inviting me. I'm uh, listening to your podcast for a long time now, so it's it's a thrill to be here with you right now. Yeah, and it's perfect timing too, because uh, in terms of uh, what you cover, I mean, obviously the world of soccer, but uh, I mean, historically speaking, a lot of business stories. So I know you and I have kind of crossed paths many times. Uh, you're always kind of, I mean, in addition to covering the soccer side, also kind of very fine tuned into the business side. And and let's let's start there too, because um, this is a massive story, right? Uh, Champion Soccer Tour, for those who don't know yet, uh, this is a just announced uh, new tour uh, this summer that's coming to the United States, featuring six of the biggest European teams on the planet. Uh, so everyone from Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, Arsenal, Juventus and AC Milan. Uh, not only that, but uh, those clubs combined combined for 31 European trophies and uh, the matches that they're going to be playing in the United States this summer from July 22nd through August 2nd uh, will include host cities, uh, Dallas, Houston, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Orlando and San Francisco. So, Bob, taking that all in, I mean, what's what's your verdict on on the uh, the announcement? What's your take on it? Well, I think this is the European soccer tour in the States that we've all been waiting for. So far, there's been the uh, the Premier League Summer Series, which has Aston Villa, Brentford, Brighton, Chelsea, Fulham, Newcastle United. Uh, La Liga has also announced the tour with Atletico Madrid. Real Betis, Real Sociedad, and Sevilla. But now we get the big guns, right? We get AC, Mil we get AC Milan, Juventus, Barcelona, and Real Madrid. The highlight being an El Clasico at um, AT&T Stadium, which is home of the Dallas Cowboys, on Saturday, July 29th. I'm sure that's going to get attendance of 90,000, 100,000. I'm not quite sure what the capacity is. But this is just a hugely exciting moment for soccer fans here in the States that we get another El Clasico, right? There was one uh, last year at the Allegiant yep. Stadium. That was the first iteration of the Soccer Champions Tour, which was um, put together by AEG. Now it seems the Soccer Champions Tour has been expanded in terms of the number of teams and also the backing that it has in terms of Sixth Street and Legends. And we can talk about that a bit later. But we had an El Clasico in the States in 2017 in Miami. We had one last year in Las Vegas 
and now we've got one this year in Dallas. Could an annual El Clasico become a regular thing in the States? I think it could. Yeah, it, it sure seems that way. And you mentioned too about the stadium sizes of some of those uh, stadiums for El Clasico. And just running down the list too, I mean, this is a I mean, gigantic stadiums, NFL stadiums, right? Uh, Levi Stadium has got a capacity of 68,000. The Rose Bowl, 89,000. SoFi Stadium, one of the best stadiums in the country, 70,000. Energy uh, Stadium near Houston, 72,000. AT&T Stadium, 80,000 near Dallas. Allegiant Stadium, 65,000 in Vegas. Camping World Stadium in Orlando, 60,000. And then last but not least, uh, LA Galaxy Stadium in Carson, 27,000, which is still I mean, a considerable size. Yeah, this this is uh, I, th I think in some ways, Bob, this is kind of a uh, you mean, we lost a lot, a lot of money during COVID. This is uh, perfect timing for these clubs. They're probably thinking, OK, we're going to just bank uh, I mean, millions on this tour. But also at the same time, too, the calendar has been kind um, for the men's side. So this summer, the only major, major tournament is the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Um, of course, you got the Women's World Cup on, on the other side, but um, there's no I mean, no World Cup, there's no Euros. So this is a perfect opportunity for these teams to come over. And I think the other thing about this, too, is oftentimes whenever we make announcements about you know, big, big clubs coming to America to play uh, friendlies, preseason exhibition games, uh, the first complaint is always or the first thing that people say is like, well, uh, it's just going to be their B team or, or it's going to be the, the, the kind of the youth players. Most of the stars won't be there on this one. I, I think, right, there's, there's no reason that the stars couldn't be here. Uh, this is perfect preseason training going into the beginning of the new season. Uh, they're not going to have anything else even other than the U20 World Cup. But, but by that point, it'll be over. So I think all I mean, this is perfect timing for a lot of these clubs to come in, come to this country. And uh, yeah, it, this this is going to be massive. This is going to be really big. The interesting thing about this, Bob, though, too, is I mean, this is really going head to head with the League's Cup, the Liga Mekis and the MLS clubs. Uh, that one is running July 21st through August 19th. But how, how do you think those, those two will I mean, do you think those two will really kind of uh, almost cannibalize each other or is there a way for both of these both the league's cup and the champion soccer tour to be successful um kind of at the same time well i think the league's cup is designed primarily to engage the hispanic and latino audience in the states we know it's enormous in terms of the viewing figures for you know mexican and spanish leagues here but obviously when you've got real madrid and barcelona that also caters to these kind of fans. Um, I think that the, the biggest point may be the price. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be priced out of going to these um, these games because they're expensive to put on. And I'm sure these clubs have been given millions of dollars to come here. So to recap that, recoup the cost and also to hire these stadiums, the prices are, are going to be enormous. Um, so be, I think what would be interesting is uh, if we get to have a deeper dive on the League's Cup's schedule in terms of will these games sort of directly clash uh, with these European friendlies and then what happens then in terms of who watches what on TV and things like that. I think they could both coexist together, but ultimately, if you're a soccer fan in the States, what is going to capture your attention more? Is it Real Madrid against Barcelona or is it 
one of the low, you know, Sporting Kansas City against one of the lesser-known Mexican clubs. I would say it's, you know, by hands down, it's going to be uh, all these European games. Um, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, it's interesting too because last summer's uh, Champions Soccer Tour uh, did have Club America and Chivas uh, on, on the schedule playing European teams. And obviously this summer now with those teams and, and, and all the other Liga Mekki teams, uh, they'll be consumed with the League's Cup. And yeah, and like and Bob, like you said too, as far as the, the European fans or fans of European soccer, they'll be kind of you know, hooked into watching uh, these Champions Soccer Tour games. So I think where the split could be is, is those MLS fans, where some of those MLS fans, if they're a fan of, I don't know, LA Galaxy or if it's... Uh, I mean, any of the teams kind of on on the uh, in the Midwest or, or the, on the West Coast. Uh, do you, what, with your dollars that you have, are you like, okay, do I go see, I mean, LA Galaxy against one of the Liga Mekis clubs, or do I go to watch uh, you know, Juventus against um, AC Milan or something like that? So I think I think for that for them those those decisions will be tough ones, um, and and they may go with the MLS uh, League Cup one. Just to run through the fixtures, actually. So um, Barcelona against Juventus at uh, Levi Stadium. Uh, Real Madrid against uh, Milan at the Rose Bowl, which you can just imagine that's going to be just <laughs> full of Real Madrid fans there. Uh, Arsenal against Barcelona at SoFi, which uh, that, that's enticing too. Real Madrid against Manchester United at the Energy Stadium, stadium in uh, Houston. Uh, Juventus against Milan at uh, Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson. Uh, so there you have the Serie A game there uh, at uh, at the LA Galaxy Stadium. Uh, Barcelona against Real Madrid, like you mentioned, uh, AT&T Stadium uh, in Texas. Uh, Milan against uh, Barcelona, Allegiant Stadium. And then Juventus against uh, Real Madrid, closing it out at uh, Camping World in Orlando. So, I mean, all of those games on They're paper, all great games, aren't they? You can't yeah. have one to say that's just OK. They're all amazing. Yeah, other, other than El Clasico, which is the one that stands out. I mean, uh, I mean, all of them, all of them. It's it's hard to resist if you were in that area. And, and we've seen it, too. I mean, nationally, you have people flying across the country to go to these games. Yeah, the ticket prices are going to be interesting to see what those are uh, in terms of what they're priced at. But we've we've seen too, even for the El Clasico in Miami, in previous years, we had there were people from around the country and actually from the continent, actually from South America, from North America, uh, coming to this game because it was a destination game. It was really built up to be kind of you know a massive game of of, of yeah, it's a friendly, but still it's an opportunity for people uh, on this part of the hemisphere to actually see these these players and these teams in person. So it's. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a huge undertaking. And of course, too, you've got some other tours, too. You have the Manchester United against uh, Dortmund are playing a friendly. And then you have Wrexham coming, right? Wrexham's playing, playing a few games there, too, uh, outside of, of, obviously, the Champions Soccer Tour. Yeah, and what can you expect? There's also a lot of events around the games, right? They put on lots of activations for their sponsors. They meet fans and things like that. Yeah, you... it's going to be a huge endeavour. And I think a bit like the Formula One races here, it's a place to to see and be seen. So you can expect, you know, like the top athletes in North America and other celebrities will come to these games because they know it's the place to be. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's something you could say from the International Champions Cup and, and previous tournaments. I don't think they've maxed that, that out as much as uh, they could. Um, what do you know about Legends, um, Bob, and, and kind of what they could possibly provide in terms of packages or kind of offerings kind of off the pitch to, to entice people to come in? I'm sure at a pretty penny, but what type of things they usually put together? Well, the, the, so the interesting thing about this is, to, is that it's been put together by Sixth Street, Legends, and AEG. Last year, as I said, it was just AEG. So Sixth Street, which is a private equity firm, already has relationships with Real Madrid and Barcelona. And Legends does as well. They're trying to help out these clubs in terms of what they're doing with their stadium redesigns uh, in Europe and just helping them promote their merchandise and, and events. So having just the, the wealth of knowledge and the structural support from all these uh, you know, leading companies is really going to help make it a really professional event. And I think it's just going to be great for fans. Yeah, the, la the last point on this one, too, about uh, the Soccer Champions Tour is television. Yes. And uh, League's Cup, all of the games are going to be on MLS Season Pass. Uh, in English, and then uh, select games on Univision and Tudo NA. Obviously, it'll be the big games with the, the big Liga Mackey's clubs. Um, any thoughts about where this could head uh, to television or, or to linear? I think the two obvious choices are ESPN and CBS, right? ESPN already has La Liga, CBS has Serie A, and we have you know clubs from both these leagues here. So... I think, you know, ESPN really, I think, needs to up its game a little bit in terms of some of its soccer rights, having lost quite a bit. But I, I would be happy with either ESPN or, or CBS. Yeah, no, no that's, a, that's a good point. Good, good analysis there, because um, this, this is a danger, though, for, for MLS and for Liga Mackeys, because you look at Leagues Cup and, and I can guarantee that the Liga Mackeys fans will be, I mean, really really into this right they're going they're going to watch the games on univision or to do na and, and some of them may subscribe to mls season pass to see some of those other games and then um but then if you have all of these there's what eight games six teams from the soccer champions tour the biggest clubs in the, in the world many of them uh, on television more accessible right maybe it's on espn uh espn plus espn2 as well as perhaps CBS and, and Paramount Plus or the CBS Sports Galazzo Net Network. Those are a lot more accessible and are going to reach a greater audience. So for Major League Soccer, I think that's that's the big worry is where do those MLS fans go? Again, not just in the ticket prices and, and are they buying the tickets, um, but are they subscribing to the services to MLS Season Pass really to, to really watch these games from the League's Cup? So, yeah, we'll have to look at the schedule closer in the coming days to see how much of it is head-to-head. -head. But it's certainly something that I think Major League Soccer would be concerned about just by the sheer size of these teams and the fan bases that they have, is it could split the audience. Right. And will the timing perhaps... You mentioned it would be in the evening just because of the weather. But again, they have to cater to their fans you know, in Europe and overseas as well. That's something to consider as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting too, because actually, you know, you look at the schedule, you look at the map where these uh, Champions Soccer Tour games are being played. And for the most part, it's, you mean, know, Texas, California, and then you've got, you mean, know, a game in Florida and a game in Nevada. Um, so it's mostly 
Pacific, uh, you mean West Coast or or Texas. So um, it, it'd be different if, if Major League Soccer looked at this and said, okay, well, it's all East Coast games and most of the East Cup games, the big games with I mean, Club America and Chivas and I mean Seattle Sounders and LAFC are on the West Coast. So yeah, timing, timing, and and they haven't released the actual kickoff times yet for these games uh, for the Champions Soccer Tour. The timing, yeah, it, it could be head to head, or they could try to figure out this, figure out a way to complement each other, so that maybe there's one game in the early afternoon uh, for the Champions Soccer Tour. And then that evening in the same city in Los Angeles, perhaps, that there's a game um, from the Leagues Cup where it's kind of a you know a 7.30 kickoff or a 9.30 kickoff, whatever it may be. So fans, if they wanted to, if they did have enough money, they could go to both games. But also they're not going to really cannibalize the, the audience in terms of, the, of who's going to be watching. But yeah, yeah, this is fascinating stuff. Yeah, and so I was just looking at the stadiums for the, the original soccer champions tour last year. Games at Allegiant Stadium, Oracle Park, Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas, and the Rose Bowl Stadium. So similarly, on the West Coast, in, in that area, maybe they have like a multi-year deal with these stadiums that they're going to come every year. So that could be part of it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be, uh, I mean, it's going to make July and August really interesting in terms of, uh, I mean, even if you can't go to the games, you mean being able to watch a lot of these games whether it's through MLS Season Pass for uh, Leagues Cup uh, and possibly ESPN or CBS or, or, or maybe maybe Fox, who knows, uh, having some of these games. Um, I would imagine that these games would get a hefty amount uh, in rights fees. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to be going to international markets too and, and presenting this in Europe and trying to see who, who actually bids for the rights to these games overseas too. Yeah, I mean, there's so much synergy more than ever between, you know, European sports teams and leagues and the states, and it's it's only going to continue. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure it feels like the Soccer Champions Tour is, is like, could be the dominant new force in the European uh, summer tours of the states. It was the International Champions Cup, that's obviously gone, uh, and now we have two other tours, you know, relevant sports are still involved with La Liga, um, but it feels like with the clubs that they have and the weight behind them with Sixth Street and AEG and, and Legends, that the Soccer Champions Tour could become, you know, the new dominant force. And it says in the press release um, that they're also planning women's uh, events and youth club, youth team events as well. Yeah, it'll be amazing to see if there'll be a women's El Clasico in the states. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, and and I'm sure they've looked at previous tours too and, and learned from International Champions Cup. Uh, in the latter years of, of them doing that tournament, um, they also had some women's games, I believe, and some of the youth, uh, had a youth tournament or different things. So um, I'm sure a lot of these clubs have learned a lot from from those days, as well as AEG looking at uh, those events and thinking, okay. I mean, if we put something on like this, how could, how could we make it even better than what it was in the past? So so speaking uh, of the past, but now looking to the future, from the past, Burnley FC is one of the founding members of the Football League from 1888. And now uh, they're promoted to the Premier League, uh, featuring an American investor. But most recently, JJ Watt um, and his wife have invested in Burnley FC. And for anyone on social media or at worldsoccertalk.com, 
you may have seen um, kind of an article about uh, kind of JJ uh, Watt's uh, first impressions of Burnley, and he, he's got he went to the to the town in Lancashire and did a pub crawl <laughs> from pub to pub, uh, kind of experiencing the local culture, going to the game at Turf Moor, being there as part of the championship trophy uh, presentation and actually lifting the trophy. Uh, what I what I find interesting about this too is that JJ Watt has said publicly that uh, he's spoken to Rob McElhenney about Wrexham FC and trading some some tips back and forth and talking about it. Uh, obviously, I think to me Burnley and Wrexham are not competitors; they're in completely different leagues. But uh, but Bob, what what do you think? What do you think in terms of Burnley FC and what JJ Watt's trying to do? Could he replicate? in any ways or uh, improve the popularity of Burnley in the States where perhaps Wrexham may not have been able to do in, in certain ways? Well, well I think the, the primary factor in increasing Burnley's presence in the States is simply the fact that they're in the Premier League and they're going to be on NBC Sports every week and if they stay in the Premier League for a number of years that's how you get to know the club, the players, the coaches, the stadium, the town. That does more than anything than what JJ Watt can do. But where he can help is that I think he is the friendly face of the ownership. The ownership is ALK Capital. It just sounds a bit grubby in a way that is the name of the ownership. It's private equity. It's soulless. And he's the friendly face. Every, you know, he's so popular, JJ Watt. And I think he can do a lot. Uh, along with his wife, in, in just terms of doing the similar things that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney have done in the just create really great content and hang out with fans and be the friendly face and just provide a, a helpful bridge between the fans and the American ownership. To what extent he can do what Ryan, what Ryan Reynolds has done, who's a, clearly a genius as a, as a businessman and in content creation, I think it's sort of a bit limited in terms of what he can do on that front, but he's a great addition to the ownership group. There's no doubt about that. Do you think in some ways, though, with, with JJ Watt um, being a uh, NFL legend, that there's an opportunity there to uh, maybe, I mean, communicate with his, with his followers, but also people that pay attention to JJ Watt from an N N N NFL specific um, kind of area where, say, Rob McElhenney, you know, comedian, actor, writer, uh, Ryan Reynolds, Hollywood star, may not connect as well with an NFL audience. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, new soccer fans out there or soccer fans that haven't found a team yet. And JJ Watt, perhaps as a NFL legend, could perhaps kind of uh, try to point people in, in the direction of Burnley and, and, and try to build a fan base that way where Rob and Ryan couldn't perhaps. It sounds like a great idea in theory, but I'm I'm not quite sure if you're a hardcore Cardinals fan that suddenly you're going to become interested in Burnley just because JJ Watt is posting things on his social media. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I just can't see that happening. But obviously there's just more opportunity for Burnley to come to the States and he can help out that way and he, he can go to England. Um, but I don't know if you saw that he, he did an interview with uh, The Athletic uh, this week and um, I'm just going to read one of his quotes he says what I'm going to do is help with marketing with brand recognition commercial aspects the entire American audience both fans and investors 
to try to do my part to grow the Burnley brand and bring global eyes to help tell their story because this place is incredible. I've been here twice, but the people, the town, the tradition, the history, the world should know about Burnley. And he can help in that respect, but he can move the, the needle a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be fundamental. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I think I think the key thing is really is that I mean a documentary, right, or a series, or or something that goes beyond that. Where you mean we've seen Welcome to Wrexham and, and how well that's done, but that was able to tell the story so much better than social media or interviews or podcasts or anything else was able able to do. So maybe JJ Watt with his connections in the states, you mean you mean, and and I'm sure bro other broadcasters probably thinking they're like, hey, well. Can we have a, a program that's as as good as Welcome to Wrexham or as successful? Uh, and maybe it's about Burnley's. That that'd be my recommendation is trying to figure out, you mean, an authentic, really really well done well done production wise in terms of Welcome to Wrexham, similar to that. But because Burnley does have a good story to tell, right? The the, the, t the team that being up and down the divisions uh, from a kind of a Lancashire industrial uh, town, kind of a you mean very kind of mill workers and uh, a lot of roots in, in soccer um, and with Vincent Company too as as manager you know one of the best managers up-and-coming managers uh, in the UK so so maybe, maybe perhaps right maybe Netflix or something like that yeah I hope so I mean that there are so many soccer documentaries out there docu-series I'm sure there's going to be so many more but I don't know do you think just adding another to the mix <laughs> is, is helpful for Bur you know for Burnley? What do you think? I I think it's if it's well done. I I, I agree with you. There's so many. I, I I'm burnt out. Like I I, I get you can't watch them all. I know. And I, and I get press releases like maybe one or two a week. Like hey, this is new soccer series coming out. And and I think all of them I give a chance or at least I watch the trailer. Um, but JJ, what would be something would be something different? Would be I I don't know his story as well. So coming from a UK perspective, you mean this is something from you mean a British perspective, probably there'd be a lot of people kind of curious about his story, learning more about what he's done from a you know, in his career as an athlete or you know, and now a business person. So from that angle, from the UK side, I'd be interested. And then from the US side, in terms of for people learning more about Burnley and what makes them different, yeah, I'd give it a chance. And if it was as well done as Welcome to Wrexham, you mean with the characters and the community and, and kind of everything that Welcome to Wrexham has done, I'd watch it. But but yeah, I would be skeptical at first uh, <laughs> after seeing so many documentaries and, and and there's more and more coming out. Uh, you mean it's just you mean there's always stuff ha happening a little bit too much. I think I agree. Yeah, I think what would just be interesting is just how much time JJ Watt will spend in England going to games. Because, you know, one of the great, the heartening things about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney is that they were in Wrexham a lot. And not just Wrexham, they were going to all the, the, the away games as well for, for an extended period of weeks as they were building towards promotion. So it would be, I think, quite mm -hmm. important for him that it's not, there's not just like an immediate publicity push, which there is now, but when the season um, starts again uh, in August, September, that... He's he's there a lot, and the fan he's hanging out with fans and things like that. Yeah. Again, I don't know what his other business interests are, or how much time he wants to spend away. Because I, with his from his wife, and I, I think they just had a child, or she's pregnant. I'm not quite sure, but mm -hmm. that would be a fact.
Yeah, yeah, and he has a foundation I know that he runs. Um, ideally, it'd be great to see Burnley over here this summer. I mean, a Burnley against Wrexham, friendly someplace. Uh, JJ Watt, Ryan Reynolds, and Rob McElhenney kind of on the sidelines, and, and then seeing those te- two teams play, helping each other out a bit in terms of promotion. But you mean know, maybe it's a little bit uh, too late right now in terms of uh, summer planning. But 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 I think that's something that would be definitely uh, interesting for sure. So, Bob, last but not least, uh, we want to talk about uh, Gucci Onyeweu, uh, the former defender of the U.S. men's national team, was hired this week by the U.S. Soccer Federation as vice president of sporting. A newly created role, uh, the government body said, is not a replacement for Brian McBride. And uh, USSF um, says that um, this is uh, Gucci Onyeweu's role will be reporting to Matt Crocker, uh, who starts as sporting director on August 2nd, and um, uh, they'll assist in the hiring of a men's national team coach. And then Onuwewu will work with the men's and women's national team at all levels and will help manage relationships with clubs and leagues. So, um, Bob, it, it, in your career, it, it, kind of in terms of whether it's watching on television or seeing her as a player, or perhaps maybe you know, interviewing opportunities, etc. What are your thoughts about uh, Oguchi Onoweu and, and the actual decision to go ahead and hire him as uh, as the vice president of sporting? Um, I have to say, I don't, I don't know too much about him as an individual, um, but I, I just wonder, um, just bringing in former US soccer players into the system, you know, while it's understandable, um, it feels like there's a bit of a closed shop in, in in US Soccer Federation in terms of who they're bringing in and the relationships that they have and, and what they deal with. And I think Matt Crocker is is a great example of bringing in someone from the outside who can have a independent objective uh, viewpoint on this. Um, you know, there are so many seemingly so many different executives in the US Soccer Federation doing different things, and it's it's just quite hard to understand what they all do. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and also this is a new role, right? This is a uh, vice president of sporting. So it, it's a newly created role inside US Soccer Federation. Um, for, for me personally, I, I don't think I've met Gucci, but I, I have seen him quite a few times on, uh, as a player, but also um, on CBS Sports. He was on their uh, coverage of, I think it was the CONCACAF Nations League. And also he was on Bleacher Reports when he did um, some of the analysis in the studio for the Champions League. And um, from everything that I know about him and everything that I've seen, he seems really honest. He seems like really um, a great uh, kind of observer of the game. Uh, everything that he said in terms of his analysis was really, really well done. And actually, when he was on at uh, Turner Sports uh, for Champions League coverage, I thought he was one of the best analysts that they had. Um, but they decided to go, I think, with a different crew and had Carlos Bocanegra, uh, Stu Holden and, um, and Steve Nash as kind of more of the, the kind of people that they were going to. So, yeah, I, but going back to what you said, Bob, too, I think, it, yeah, it, this feels like a little bit of a compromise, too, where maybe Gucci can help Matt Crocker and uh, talk about how the U.S. system is different and, and kind of like, tie him into that as so he knows but um, knows how, how the system works and maybe help guide him a little bit and vice versa, Matt Crocker, given his kind of uh, analysis and input and, um, you mean, in terms of what he does, 
hopefully the two of them can work together really, really well to, to make that decision to fire, to finally hire that uh, U.S. men's national team coach. Uh, hopefully, maybe by September, perhaps, uh, we'll, we'll actually have a name finally. And then, Bob, before we let you go, so where can um, listeners who uh, may not be as familiar with your byline and, and your name, where can uh, listeners go ahead and, and read your coverage? And uh, also, where can they follow you on social media? Uh, well, well, I'm on Twitter, not quite as much as I used to be, but I'm on Twitter at WilliamsBob75. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, and you can see some of my articles uh, at The Sun as well, where I'm, that's where I'm writing at the moment. Excellent, excellent. Well, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, some great uh, analysis and, and feedback on some of these big stories. And uh, yeah, all the best. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. But we're not done yet. We have the listener mailbag. And uh, again, lots of feedback from you listeners, which we really appreciate. Uh, Kartik will be back early next week. And uh, thanks to Bob Williams for uh, coming on the show to talk about Champions Soccer Tour plus much more. Okay, so Kevin says, I may be in the minority, but I like the games are on Saturday. Uh, I now know when the Revs are playing. Now I know the start time. Before, I didn't know uh, when they were playing, so it made it for me personally. I just wish they would start a little earlier, like 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern time. Scott says it's pretty simple. I'm not going to give uh, $15 to MLS for games, only when I can subscribe to Paramount Plus and Peacock for $5 a month and get tons more. ESPN Plus, which has La Liga, Bundesliga, and games from other European nations, along with hundreds of other sports, is less than the MLS package. The meaningless regular season follows the American sports model, where only the playoffs matter, but the average American sports fan doesn't watch soccer and won't be attracted. Hardcore soccer fans like myself prefer the European model, with a true champion and relegation. Uh, MLS pretty much has turned away their most likely fans while failing to attract the average American sports fan while making their product unaffordable to watch. Juan Gonzalez says, uh, As for the conspiracy theory of Apple using MLS as a showcase, leagues not only uh, look at technology, but money paid for the rights and the commitment. If Apple leaves the deal midway, that's not a good sign for any partner. Snowman says, uh, I love the podcasts and have two issues with your comments. First, it is easy for Chris to say, make Saturday night a soccer night. Your subscription fees are probably paid by the business and you make your living covering soccer. Those of us in the real world have families and spouses who like to do other things on a Saturday night, like eat out, go to the movies or other entertainment, and especially do the one thing that couples do best. Can you imagine this conversation to my wife? Um, do you want to spend a little bit, uh, oh, my wife says, do you want to spend, spend a little uh, close time with me Saturday night? Uh, me, I say, I love you, honey, but Saturday night is soccer night. <laughs> I love soccer, but love my marriage more. If I can only manage one or two free Saturday nights a month, there is no value in MLS season pass. Next, you bemoaned the lack of hype and excitement for big games during the season. The sad fact is that there are no big games in MLS regular season to hype 
Uh, who cares who wins any particular game if almost all teams make the playoff and there is no relegation? Jonathan Rapley says some great points on this pod. I do think the league has a scheduling issue. They are trying to attract a younger audience, especially going to only streaming. But most people in their 20s are not sitting at home on a Saturday night. I'm surprised they don't have that they have not spread the games out over the weekend to try and get people invested on a Saturday night or a Friday night and understand that uh, I understand that MLS 360 is a big part but the Premier League uh, goal zone has worked in the past with only three games going at the same time with no issues for content so yeah Jonathan yeah good points there MLS 360 they could change it right and they could make it so it's um, throughout the weekend rather than from the 7.30 eastern time till about midnight kind of the, the four and a half to five hours of coverage is spread it out. It's going to cost more, probably in terms of production costs and having the staff go through the weekends and changing different uh, personnel up to keep it fresh. Um, but that's that, that's certainly a, a, an idea worth considering. All right, next up is Ryan Senior. MLS season pass sucks. It's expensive, glitchy, and I honestly may, miss my local broadcast. We had pre-game, post-game, and halftime interviews with the players and coach. Plus, the cost is too much, and I already pay for Apple TV+. Plus. This is MLS, not the Premier League. And then lastly, about uh, MLS Season Pass, the White Eagle says, I had Galaxy season tickets for 10 years. Dropped them because I finally became, became exhausted by their putting politics over performance. Once uh, Don Garber caved to um, Antifa, I stopped watching and uh, have never looked back. Angels games are a much better game day experience anyway uh zachariah wants to talk about promotion relegation i was listening to your talk about improving the format of major league soccer while i agree that promotion and relegation would add stakes to the league if it involves usl that is sadly a non-starter because a they would require owners who spent millions on teams to kick themselves out of a league they spent money to get into because of the closed format and B, USL doesn't even have promotion and relegation. I feel the other, the only, the only solution would be a promotion relegation format within MLS. Instead of an East and West conference, you have a Premier Conference from which you can qualify for MLS playoffs. If you reach the top four and a championship conference, you get relegated into and can't qualify for MLS playoffs. Everyone plays each other once and everyone in their conference twice. In the current setup, you would have 15 in the Premier, Premier Conference and 14 in the Championship Conference. End of the season, you would have MLS playoffs and promotion playoffs. It is fe- it is a feasible way to do uh, for, for MLS to do promotion and relegation without having to do promotion and relegation, just a thought. So, yeah, I, I mean, in, in terms of promotion and relegation, um, Zachariah and other listeners, I honestly don't think that MLS will ever do it. I don't think that they would ever do a League One and a League Two and then have some of the smaller teams uh, work their way up to MLS. Uh, Now, if NFL did it overnight and NFL came out and said, "Okay, we're going to have promotion and relegation and we're going to have two two different. I mean, they have the conferences that they have now, but we're going to have a division two NFL. I'm going to promote teams up and down. That would never happen. And many of the executives and owners within MLS are NFL or former NFL executives. Um, so that's what they're going after is the NFL model. 
and the NFL model is you mean just the top teams in those top uh, cities, those big cities, and 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 that's it, and that's where they make the money. So I don't see promotion relegation ever working working within MLS. However, U.S. soccer needs to take uh, take control of the situation to figure out what's best, not for Major League Soccer, but what's best for the sport in this country. So maybe it's creating a promotion relegation promotion and relegation system outside of Major League Soccer, or maybe it's coming up with some other solution that would actually uh, work, but uh, I don't see MLS doing it, I don't see them agreeing to it, and if US Soccer did come in, or FIFA came in, which is not, not going to happen anytime soon, and said, hey guys, you guys need to come up with a promotion and relegation system, I, I can guarantee you MLS would be going to the courts and getting the lawyers involved and, and trying to stop that from happening. So it needs to happen from above either through the court systems or through U.S. soccer or through FIFA, and even then it may not happen. So my, my take is, is that promotion and relegation would make Major League Soccer better. However, it's uh, it wouldn't fix things overnight. Uh, it would give us more reasons to watch. Um, but it is a factor. I mean, it's, it's a factor in whether or not people will watch M- MLS, if it has it or not. So if it doesn't have it, Maybe it's just, just MLS says, you know what, we've, we've tried doing a uh, streaming solution that's available globally. We were on national television. We were on local television. Maybe kind of our forte, maybe our, what we do best is that local game experience. And then the, the national TV coverage and the international TV coverage, I mean, not what we anticipated it being. Uh, it's still out there, still available, but I mean, it is what it is. And then fo- hyper-focus on then on the the local level in terms of you know bringing new players through the system, making more money, keeping the billionaires happy, and and for the fans going to the stadium having a great experience, um, and feeling that they're part of something, which which is true. I mean, it's it's at the game experience for a lot of MLS teams, it's a great experience. All right, listeners, uh, thank you so much for your comments and feedback. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us. If you have any questions of your own or feedback or, or observations, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. There's a few different ways you can reach out to us. Uh, first of all, you can go to the website, worldsoccertalk.com, and then click on podcast uh, in the navigation and leave your comments in the, the most recent episode. Or you can send me an email. Uh, it goes to web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook facebook.com slash world soccer talk and on twitter at world soccer talk you can tweet us there uh, if you want to you can also leave a voicemail i, I do have a voicemail that's uh, i need to, to maybe next episode I'll, I'll go ahead and play that from one of our listeners but you can leave a voicemail too which is uh, 561-247-4625 and behalf on behalf of uh, world soccer talk uh, bob williams who is our special guest this week and Kartik Krishnaya and, and many others uh, working at World Soccer Talk. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, enjoy the